0: of fellowship and good time and worship uh, to the Lord. There is a sign-up sheet in the foyer um, so that Matt can know that you are going to be part of the choir. With that being said, here we go. I like that. Here we go. Time to get into God's Word. Aren't you glad we serve a way-making God? Boy, that, that song blessed me. You know, I love the Pentecostal experience. I love to feel the presence of the Lord. I love to feel His... Annoyance. But you know, sometimes I don't feel it. And that's where faith comes in. Because if our faith is grounded in our feelings, man, our feelings go like this right here. But God is constant. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there may be some of you that are dealing with some things, and I'm sure you are, and maybe you don't feel what God is doing, but He's working if you belong to him, if you're his son or his daughter, he's working in your life. And the song says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. He's a way-making God. I hope you all have a life verse, a life scripture of mine. It's pretty well known when Romans 8, 28 says, For I know that all things, all, that's right, work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That don't mean all things are good, but why I can trust him, I can put my faith in him. No, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand what's going on, but I know that you have my best interests and that you love me and you're making a way for me. So I hope you'll grab hold of that this morning. That song just spoken into my spirit, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. I want to give a quick update on Pastor Don. Hopefully he's joining us this morning. If you are a pastor, we love you. We're praying for you. He, um, he uh, had a, a bulging disc, pressing on a nerve. If you've ever had anything pressing on a nerve, that hurts. It hurts a lot. And so he's had some treatment, but he is going to have some surgery, not this Tuesday, but next. And we're praying that that, that is going to be successful. We're still praying that God's going to heal him supernaturally. How many know God can still do that? He can. And we seek him for it. And so, but we thank him. Look, if it, we thank God for the gift of medicine. But ultimately, our healing comes through him. We praise him when we're made whole. And so... He's having surgery a week from this Tuesday. We're praying that if that's the route God chooses, that that it'll take care of that pain, and he can be. I know he's I've been to visit him a couple of times. He's still an encouraging guy. Laying flat on his back, you know, he raises his hands and he speaks with encouragement. And so we're just praying for Pastor Don. We know that God is going to bless him and raise him up. So this morning we're going to um, move into continue in our study on the on the Ten Commandments. Some of you had some very encouraging things to say to me about this series. I hope you have gleaned from something from it. If I say this often. If it doesn't convict me, it won't convict you. And a few people have said, you know, thank you for stepping on my toes. Well, good, because mine are beat all to pieces. But it's not your toes that I'm aiming for. It's your heart. And that's, the, that's what God's aiming for. He's aiming for your heart. And I said these Ten Commandments would do two things. They would show you your sin, and we all have it. And then what it would do, because it would drive you to that cross. Because you know I can't measure up to God's holy standard. And once it drives us to that cross and we accept Him as our Savior, then it instructs us in righteousness. How are we supposed to live now that we know? And so that's what we've been going through for the last several weeks. And we're coming down to the end of that study. Next week will be the last of it. And this week I have chosen to combine two again. We'll be combining the eighth commandment of you shall not steal. And the 10th commandment of you shall not covet under the umbrella of the secret of contentment. How many of you know in our society today, people are not content with anything? They're not. We don't know contentment. And if you're trying to be content with anything, any mere material possessions, you're never going to be content. You're always going to be seeking the next thing, the next thing. And you, you probably know people like that. They're looking for something to fill something in their heart that only... The Lord can feel. And when you try to feel that thing, Dan, Dan said at Friday night prayer, he said, you know, we want the Lord to fill us up, but sometime to fill us up, Brother Dan, we've got to get some stuff out. And, and if we're trying to fill up what only he can feel, we would never be contented. And this morning, I'm going to deal with a few things which where the church is probably most heavily criticized, and that is money and possessions. There's a lot of people, they love to say, all that church wants is my money. And that's simply not true. But I can tell you that from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, God has commanded his people to give, to be givers. Now, people say, well, God don't need our money. Technically, he does not need our money. But in this current age that we live in, God expects his people to provide for the advancement of his kingdom. And we all have a responsibility in that. And there's always something competing for it in your heart and in mine and in mine. But this morning, let's let's take a look at these two commandments. If you have your Bible... For your smartphones if you'll, turn, if you'll get to Exodus 20 and 15. And then we will read Exodus 20 and 17. Father, we thank you for your presence that's already been here this morning. For the anointing that's here. And God, that helps prepare people's hearts for the word. It prepares my heart to deliver it. And I thank you for that. Lord, and in all this today, we want you to be glorified. And if there's one here who's never submitted themselves to you... ...God, if that Holy Spirit begins to tug at those heartstrings... That they'll repent of their sin and know you as their Savior before they leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Exodus 20 and 15 simply says, You shall not steal. In Exodus 20 and 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox nor is donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Look at the introduction. While most people, including Christians, would not go out and steal from an apartment store or from someone else, when we look at the broader implications of the commandment, we find many areas where Christians justify theft. In our current culture, much of the theft and cheating comes from a desire to have more than we need or simply trying to keep up with the Joneses. It boils down oftentimes to pride. Particularly, I think I see that in our younger generation. And how many of you know the Joneses, most of the time, they're broke? And Dave Ramsey says this, we buy stuff with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And that's true. Tammy and I, in our business, our business sometime, we've dealt with some younger couples, and they want this huge house. And we're like, why, why do you need such a big house? And we know that deep down inside, it's because their coworker, or their friend has it, and we try to say, "Look, don't, don't. Why don't you scale this thing back a little bit?" You know, because we hate to see people struggle. I hate to see young people get started up to here and dead. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But they're trying to keep up with someone, and it's pride, and it can creep into all of our hearts. Even our government today fuels the divide between the haves and the have-nots. Feeding the sin of covetousness. To me, we have a government today that feeds the sin of covetousness. How many times have you heard this? People need to pay their fair share. And I understand that. I know a lot of times that they're focusing or trying to focus that on corporate greed. And there is a lot of that. We know that greed is a problem in our society. It can be a problem in our own hearts. But the problem is what happens once you set that standard of the haves and the have-nots, It's just not about the corporate rich anymore. It's about, well, why does my neighbor have that and I don't? Why does this person have more than I do and I don't? And then it becomes into this thing of trying to keep up with them, and then the government feels like that they're the arbiters of what people should have and people shouldn't have. And And one thing, we just did a study here with Dr. David Jeremiah on where do we go from here, and we dealt with some of the very current issues that we're dealing with, and one of his chapters was on socialism. And what saddens me is there's a lot of younger people today that are buying into that. And I understand in some ways because what it does, it says, well, what it does, it just equals the playing field. It just takes and says, these people who don't have what others have and others have a lot, we give a little bit to everybody so everybody's equal. That sounds good, but it don't work. It's never worked. And it's not biblical. It, It can result in theft sanctioned by the government. But I don't want to get into the politics of that. But what happens is that's what happens. We start demonizing. We start saying, why does this one have it? Particularly someone who may have been financially successful. And one of the keys to whether whether you can chest your heart and say, do I have a covetousness heart? I have a hard time saying that word covetousness, by the way. (laughs) Is this, do I look at someone who's done well? Especially if it's a brother or sister in the Lord, even if it's not. And do I rejoice or do I feel envy and bitterness? That's That's a test for your heart. I hope you all do well financially. I hope you all do. And I hope you're obedient to the Lord with it. I thank God he has, God he has people who are. And I'm looking at a lot of people who are. Because what happens, we begin to say, well, they, they got, we, we begin to take this idea of success and we say, well, it must have been inherited. They must have, have cheated to get it. I did a little bit of research and a millionaire is not what a millionaire used to be, but still a millionaire is somebody with a lot of money. We know that. Typically, a millionaire is somebody who has a net worth of a million dollars or more, most of the time not including the primary residence. That's someone who's pretty successful. And we look at someone like that through this lens of unfairness and say they must have gotten it unfairly. 88% of millionaires in our country are first-generation self-made millionaires. The average age is 59. What that tells me is it's likely someone who worked, who invested, who saved, who did smart things with their money, They didn't go out and cheat anyone or steal from anyone. And they've been financially successful. And I rejoice with them. And I don't think, well, I'm going to get this covetous and hard, and I'm going to go take from them and give to someone else. Most of them, the car that most million, there was a book several years ago written called The Millionaire Next Door. It said the car that most millionaires drive is a Honda Accord, a Toyota Camry. They don't live in affluent neighborhoods. Your neighbor next door might be a millionaire. Praise God. I praise God. I don't want to be covetous. I don't want to wish I had what they had. So let's look at how we guard against that. First, I think we need a biblical understanding of money and possessions. A biblical understanding of money and possessions. The starting point to it all, churches, is this. God is the ultimate owner of everything. He owns it all. He owns my stuff. He owns your stuff. He's just decided to make you a steward of it. And you should be content with that. If you have been a good steward of it, particularly as it relates to God's Word, whatever lot He's put you in, understand God's given you some stuff. Be a good steward of it. He expects you to use it, to enjoy it, and to build His kingdom with it. But it is His, Psalm 24 and 1. The earth is the Lord and all its fullness, the world and all who dwell therein. He owns it all. It's His. And if that's your starting point, it makes the rest of this a whole lot easier. The next, and and this is just very broad, church. As with some of the other commandments, we could do a a couple three-day week series just on this. We have a biblical right to enjoy our honest gain. I think too many times in the church we get this idea that maybe financial success is is uh, synonymous with being spiritually mature. Where you may be financially in your life has absolutely nothing to do with your spiritual maturity. Now, it might have something to do with how you've managed your money and stewardship, and we'll talk about it, particularly as it relates to the scriptures. But, but sometimes people get into this mindset, well, brother, I ain't got two plumb nickels to rub together, but I got the Lord. That, that's a poverty mentality. And I don't think we should have a poverty mentality as God's people. But at the same token, we'll see somebody driving a high-end car and maybe they are follower follow the Lord and I'm blessed. And we have this idea where he's blessed because he drives that Mercedes. No. Let me tell you why we're blessed. We're blessed because the Son of God came down, took my sin to a cross, died there. I put my trust in him, and I have eternal life. That's why I'm blessed. Period. That's why I'm blessed. And that's the starting point. That's why I trust him. That's why I choose, and this is what all the commandments have been about. That's why I choose to put him, make him Lord of my life, Lord of my finances. Is he Lord of yours? Does he have first place in that? Listen to what Psalm 128, 1 and 2 say, how they read. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. It shall be well with you. If when you're eating and enjoying the labor of your hands, it says you're going to be happy and it's okay to be happy. And then Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 19. This is Solomon. This is a man who was very wealthy. If you've not read the book of Ecclesiastes in a while, read it. Because he had all the money, he had everything, but at the end of it, he said it was vanity, it meant nothing. But he had some truths about money along the way. And he said this, Here is what I've seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him. For it's his heritage, As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth. Who gave it to him? God gave it to him. And given him the power to eat of it. That's meant to me. That's health. God gives us our wealth. God gives us our health. To receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. So if you've got honest gain. If God's placed you in a good lot in your life. And I got news for you. I'm looking at a whole sanctuary full of people who are blessed. We live in one of the most prosperous times in our nation. I read that if you make more than $2,500 a year by the world standards, you're wealthy. We all come out of an air-conditioned or a warm home. I don't see any horse and buggies out there. We all drove a car in here. We're all blessed. And what happens, we can't get into the, well, I don't have what, but I'm, I'm not blessed. I don't have what this person has. That. That's, that's where the covetousness comes in. We're all blessed, and God has blessed us all. And it's okay to enjoy it. Our identity or self worth is not in our stuff. It's not in our stuff. Jesus talking to a group of followers who had followed him, and the context for this scripture is a man stood up and said, "Lord, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." How many of you? I'm going to tell you. You want to see families get at odds with each other? Let there be an inheritance. Tammy and I watched a Dateline just last night. We, we like Dateline. We like murder stuff. And the whole thing was about a fight over money that from a and somebody got killed over it. So you want to watch families get it on talk talk about inheritances? He said, "Tell my brother." And Jesus said, "Hey, who who made me the arbiter of you, of your affairs?" But then he said this, and he said to them, "Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses." The things you own, the material things that you own, that is not what your life consists of. As Sister Christie said when she stood up here earlier, it is about our relationship with the Lord. That's not what, who you are. Who you are is a child of God. That's what your life consists of. I wrote this in my notes. Our lives do not con- consist of the stuff that we possess. It consists of the person that we possess. And if we, if we possess the person of Jesus Christ, if he dwells within our heart, we will get our stuff in its rightful place. What has, what competes for first place in your heart? How we violate the commandment. First, theft or the actual stealing of someone's property. I, I don't think that's probably that common. I hope not amongst followers of Christ or go in and steal in a department store or Take something from someone, our neighbor or something, and take it away from them. I will tell you that theft is the commonest, most common crime that occurs. I spent 28 years with the police department. John, that was always the biggest crime. Stealing, it's always the biggest crime. So it's pretty common in our culture, but it should not be common amongst us as followers of the Lord. But what about this? What about just, I could give you just, I'm just going to give you a couple examples. What about taking from our employer? What about our our employer entrusts us with something and we feel empowered to take it and use it or deprive them of it, not to give it back to them? And I'm not talking about the inadvertent taking of a pen or something like that, but I'm talking about in your heart, you know, I'm about to take something from my employer and I'm going to use it for my own gain and they'll never get it back. How about taking of the time? We as God's people should be ambassadors for him. We should be the best employees. If I have an employee that is called by the name of Jesus Christ, I shouldn't have to worry about whether they're stealing from me, whether they're giving an honest day's work. They should be the best employee that we have. You should be the best employee your employer has because you claim the name of Christ. I, read, I saw a story just, just a couple weeks ago. It was a, it's a company called Better.com. I don't know if you all saw this. It was on the news quite a bit. And they were all meeting by Zoom. I don't know if it was just an internet-based company or if it was because of COVID, but, but his whole, several of his employees were meeting by Zoom. Well, he popped onto the Zoom call, the CEO of this company did, and he fired every one of them. He said, you are all fired. He found out that everybody in his company had been working two hours a day and he fired them. What I found interesting was he got backlash because he did it on the Zoom. He should have done it on the Zoom. He should have fired every one of them. They were stealing from him. And he gets the backlash. They were stealing from him. That is stealing from our employer. Next, in unfair business practices, Proverbs 11 and 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. If you run a business or if you do things, are you honest in your business dealings? Do you treat everyone the same? Do you give everyone the same price? One of the things that I see happen a lot of times during natural disasters that really just gets me, and I'm sure it does you, is the price gouging. you seen that? When there's hurricanes and tornadoes, and you hear about these people charging two and three times for chainsaws and, and, uh, and generators. That should never be counted amongst us as followers of the Lord. All forms of dishonest gain... Proverbs 21 and 6 says, A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 10, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, once again telling him the people who would not inherit the kingdom of God, three of those things that he mentions is this has to do with stealing or material possessions. He says this, Nor thieves, nor covetousness, Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Three of them. Three of them have to do with money and possessions. You know Jesus taught more about money and possessions than he did heaven and hell? He knew what is going to compete for our allegiance to him. It's going to be the stuff that we have. It's going to compete. There's a guy I knew. he, He claimed himself to be a Christian. This has been many, many years ago. And I was in his company with some other people. And at that time, the some of you remember that, remember this. At that time, the satellite service was received with a, you had a receiver, and you had a little card, and you inserted it in the receiver, and that's how you got your satellite. He sat here amongst these groups of men. I was relatively new to this group of men. And he bragged how he, you could get them things bootlegged. He bragged how he had this thing bootlegged, and he was getting satellite with it. I was like, "Dude, that is stealing, and you're bragging about it. That is simply stealing. That is dishonest game." I added this to my outline as I as I worked through it a little bit last night. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but I think as followers of the Lord, we have to be careful with unpaid debt. We have to be careful with unpaid debt, and if we get ourselves in too much debt, and I don't. I, sometimes you see people and they file bankruptcy as a way just to wipe their debts out. I think you have to think real long and hard about that scripturally, whether or not that's something that you can do, whether you can just walk away from your obligations. You signed on a line, In one of the sermons, some time back, I said, Jesus said, let your yes be a yes, and your no be a no. And if we're gonna sign, we're gonna pay, we should make every effort to pay. And if you've just made a conscious decision, or I make a conscious decision, just say, I'm not paying, I'm walking away, I think you violated the commandment. Lastly, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Malachi 3 and 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. We'll talk a little bit more about tithes and offerings as we go through. But church, we, as I said to him again, we are commanded by God to be a giver to his kingdom. And if we don't, Malachi, the Old Testament prophet said, we've robbed God. We've taken what belongs. We, we believe in the doctrine of first fruits. He owns the first of what I make. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the tithes in, in a few minutes. I know that, like I said, that gets people upset. Talking about giving gets people upset. But don't get upset with me. Get upset with God. Get upset with the Bible because it's God's command for his people. Haggai 1 and 4. The nation of Israel has come back. They've been in captivity. They want to rebuild the temple. And the prophet Haggai says this to the nation. He says, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? He was saying to those people, so wait a minute, you're out there, you're living in your nice homes, you're driving your nice cars, you have all this stuff, but my house lays in ruins. And it amazes me today the people that come into a church that are fed in that church, that worship in that church, that don't give a thing to support that church. That, to me, I don't know how you do that, but it does happen. But I want to say this about this church. This has been a very giving and faithful church. We're not a large congregation, but you've been faithful through the pandemic. You've been faithful in giving. We've got a benevolence fund that has... a lot of money in it. The benevolence fund we use to help people who've hit a hard time. We pay our bills. We're able to save a little bit. You, and I'm looking at a congregation who has tapped into what Paul said, who have excelled in what Paul said in this grace of giving. And we thank you for that. How do we keep the commandment? I said that every commandment that's spoken negatively also has positive implications. How do we keep the commandment of not stealing and not having a covetous heart? First, get to work. Get to work. That's another thing that bothers me a little bit about our culture. It's too easy today, to me, not to work and to get paid. And that should not be. That was not God's design for his creation. You know, many people think that the work was part of the fall. It was not. The work was prior to the fall. Look at Genesis 2 and 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. After God created man, he put him in the garden to work it. And what that says to me, man, is that something in your DNA that God created, created you to work. To be productive. And when you're not productive, when you sit at home and maybe you feel like, hey man, I can sit at home, I don't have to work, I can get paid, you might but it's going to be detrimental to you, maybe financially, but certainly spiritually. Because I believe you're outside what God God created you for. He created you to be productive. He did. And that's for us to be productive. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 11, Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica. He said this, he said, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Boy, that's pretty, that's pretty direct. And I can tell you, if we had a lot of people that won't eat, and they'd get to work. I can guarantee you that. Now, that's not to say I'm opposed. I thank God that we have the social safety networks, that we have unemployment when people need it, that we have the food stamps or debit when people need it. But it was never intended to be a way of life. And I can speak a little bit to that. Sometimes it's hard for us, sometimes when we're teaching and preaching God's word, as people say, well, you don't understand that. You've never been there. You're looking at a young man, I'm not so young anymore, an older man and my wife who we both watched our families go on public assistance. We watched our families lose their jobs and what it did. It was tough. We were young people. And our dads did what they could, but we went to public assistance. But he didn't stay there. My dad didn't stay there. He used it for what was supposed to be a stopgap so he could get back to work. And he did. He got back to work. And that's what it's for. But we have people today, that's not how they see it. They see it as this is something I get from the womb to the tomb. That's not how God designed it. God created us to work. Paul went on to say in that verse, if he said this, he said, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but being busybodies. I read into that, Paul's saying, You know what? If you were out there working, you come home, you'd be too tired to be in everybody else's business. You wouldn't be calling, getting involved in everybody's business, being a busybody, stirring up all kinds of dissent and trouble, because you'd have been out working all day. Get to work. And I, you know, not everybody, church, who doesn't, who, who's down on their luck, and I, I thank God for ministries like Brother David. Y'all's ministry, I thank God for every church, every believer should be investing in ministries like this who help those who are are down and out. Every one of us. Because there are people. You look at people, you can never get this attitude of pride. Because whether it's someone like that, but for the grace of God, I could be there. That's how we have to look at folks like that. But not everyone who is in a bad situation... Is necessarily because they don't, because they're in a, in a bad situation. Some of them are in there because they don't want to work. And that's truth. I, um, we have an apartment in our basement that we built when my father-in-law had Alzheimer's. He lived with us for a few years. And several years ago, I had a, a Coach Bobby Schreiner. who's a good friend of mine, a good Christian brother of mine. He called me. A group of men had been working with this man, trying to mentor him a little bit. He said, Larry, this guy... He's sleeping in his car. He knew he had this basement apartment. He said, can you help him? I said, well, coach, do you know him? He said, well, yeah, we've been bidding with him for a while. because I'm reluctant. I'm careful who I bring into my home. But, it, but, it, but I can lock it up. I can separate it from my primary home. I said, coach, I'll give him a chance. Because I will say this. For people who are trying to get back on their feet, the, the deposit, the security deposit, the deposits for utilities, it can be very expensive. And so I said, coach, we'll, we'll do it. We'll give him a chance. He came into our home. I met with him. I said, here's, here's the deal. You can stay here for, we'll do a month first, maybe two. We'll charge you nothing. Just take your money, get back on your feet, and then you can go back out and, and find your own place. Okay, he had a job. I set some ground rules. You won't be here when we're not here. We were both still working. He went off to work. We went off to work. He couldn't get back in. We had alarm, all that stuff. So anyway, it went good for about a week. And then after I got up one day, I looked down and his car was still out there. And I'd have to go down and bang on the basement and say, you going to work today? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd jump up and, and run. And then I found out he'd lost his job. And then he's saying, look, I'm trying to find some work. I got this buddy I know. Can he come by? I said, absolutely not. And it wasn't when two weeks I said, you need to find somewhere else to go. Maybe he just didn't want to work. Get to work. Next, stop stealing and be a a blessing. Ephesians 4.28. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus said, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who is need. Not only stop stealing, but get to work and be a blessing. Get to work and be a blessing to someone. Next, be a good steward. I've said this many times, we did a financial class here, I guess, a year or so ago. And I always want our young people in our church to know this. Be a good steward. If you will take, as a a young person, if you'll take this this Bible, it gives us everything we need for life and godliness. That's what it says. Everything you need to live for life and godliness is here. No matter what the culture says, this is truth. And it applies to our finances and our stuff as well. And if you'll take this Bible and you'll know the principles of it in everything, but in, but in finances, as it relates to work, as it relates to staying out of debt and living within your means, as it relates to giving, as it relates to saving, you will be financially okay. That doesn't mean you're gonna be rich in the world's standards or whatever, but you won't struggle. You won't be wondering where you, how you're gonna pay your bills. In this current capitalistic society that we live in, that's still true here. Pastor Don has often said, whatever you preach, better preach around the world. And what I just told you is true of this society. I can't necessarily take that the gospel preaches around the world. Those principles there, I couldn't take them to Haiti and tell those people of Haiti, if you'll just do this, you'll be blessed. It's a different society. It's It's a different culture right there right now. Their whole economic system has collapsed in some ways. But it's true here. And then what happens, you do that young people and then as Paul said, you can be a blessing and you can send some money over to uh, missions that are helping people in Haiti or helping people in Africa. That's why he blesses us, not for really to hoard up, but that so we can be a blessing, so we can be a blessing to those who don't have what we have. That scripture I told back in, in Luke where Jesus said "A man is not, uh, his, our lives are not made up of an abundance of our possessions. Later on, in that same passage and I would encourage you to read that he tells the story of the rich fool there's a lot of rich fools because here's what his idea was he had had a bumper year of crops for us he'd be like hey man my 401k my brokerage account it's going wild I'm just making all this money I know what I'm gonna do I'm just gonna reinvest it and keep making money this guy had bumper crops. He said, what am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build more barns, and I'm going to fill it up, and I'm going to sit back, I'm going to eat, drink, and I'm going to be merry, and I'm going to enjoy life. You know what Jesus said to him? You fool. You fool. This very hour, your life will be demanded from you. And then who's going to have your stuff? I know it's a bit cliche, but it's true. I ain't seen a Brinks truck fall on a hearse yet. It's not. And I got the, a, a real understanding of this more than ever when my mom passed away. My mom passed away. My dad, we sold the house that they lived in. Every earthly possession my mom had, we, either, we took the things we wanted to keep sentimental. The nicer things she had, we took to the Goodwill. And the rest, we had a dumpster dropped out, and it went to the dumpster. And I remember standing there holding her purse, and I just couldn't throw her purse in the, in the dumpster. I just could not do it. So I I stuck it under the seat of my truck and it stayed there for probably a couple, three years before I finally threw it away. But what struck me is everything that we work so hard for, that we, we labor over, that we get all upset over, our stuff, our money, this, that, it is going to the dumpster. So make sure that you have your priorities in order. Make sure it's not about your physical possessions but your earthly possessions. We have a little thing framed on our kitchen window. It says the only earthly possessions you can take to heaven with you are your children. But you can take some other things. How many people are, Christy talked about sharing the gospel. How many people do you share the gospel with? That's the only thing eternal. Because all this other stuff is fleeting. It's passing away. It's going away. You have it, enjoy it. But use it. Give it. be, Be a blessing. Advance the kingdom with it. Be a good steward. I have a good friend who spoke for a little bit at that last financial class we did. He's, he's. I asked him if he would do because when Tammy and I speak sometimes, particularly with young couples, it is amazing to me how little people know about how money works and how they get themselves all messed up. And then, it, it, folks, if you get wrapped up to here and debt, it's hard to get out. And we don't want a part of our counseling here in this church we don't want you to be like that we want you to be free of that the bible tells us that that the bar is servant to the lender and if you've ever been in that debt situation you feel like a slave you feel like you just can't get out of that and we don't want you to get in it in the first place but anyway he said he would come here and do a financial peace class that Dave Ramsey puts on we'll be doing that in the next few months I don't know when that'll be but if you've, if you've never been through a financial peace class, if you've never been through a class that teaches you how to manage money biblically, I encourage you to come. What's discouraging sometimes, it seems like when we put those things off, people who need to come, don't come. We'll hope that you'll come. Billy Graham said this. He said of all the people that he spoke with, that most of the time he found out that when people managed their monies well, the rest of their life was managed well. And that's a true statement. That's really what the credit score is all about. Through our business, we've had a chance sometimes to see people's credit scores. And sometimes when those credit scores are in the tank and we get to know a little bit more about them, we find out their life is in the tank. Because money is such an explosive issue, and it's, it's hard to manage if you don't learn how to manage it. The question for me, the question for you is, what's in control? Does it control you, or do you control it? Next, be a giver. Be a giver second corinthians 9 and 7 <clears throat> so it says this so let each one we don't and none of us get a pass each one gives as he has purposes in his heart not grudgingly or out of necessity for god loves a cheerful giver and I can talk to you about being a cheerful giver and what it is to be a cheerful giver till I'm blue in the face. Church, that's something you have to experience for yourself. Until you, when you get to the point where you can be a giver, when it, particularly with young people, and this church has always risen up to give to young people. I love giving to young people. Because when there's a young person that wants to spend their... uh, And we've had several of this through the years. that want to spend their spring break while everybody's going out and partying. But they're going on a mission trip. And they send them letters out and say, will you support me? I'm almost giddy writing that check. I love giving to them. But it's something you have to experience. To what it is to be a cheerful giver. To love to give of your resources. To love to give to the kingdom of God. And to be a blessing to people. Be a giver. And lastly... All of this boils down to the secret of contentment. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi in 4, 11 through 12, he said this, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Many translations says, I have learned the secret of contentment. I know how to be abased. In other words, I know how to not have much and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. And the Apostle Paul knew that. He had been on way up here in the Jewish leadership. He was looked up to, and he was also shipwrecked and didn't have anything. He had learned that the secret of contentment is not about his status. It wasn't about being of the tribe of Benjamin and knowing the law. It wasn't about having the highest seat at the table. When Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ, he knew right then, this is where my contentment comes from. His heart was forever contented. Because at the heart of covetousness, and coveting is the ungoverned, illegitimate, selfish desire to possess something that belongs to someone else. The commandment addresses the motives of the heart. Every other commandment has been on an outward action, whether it's stealing, whether it's adultery, whatever. It's an outward action that you see. The the covetousness is the motive of the heart. And many times that's brewing before the action comes out into the theft or whatever it is. It's been brewing in there for a long time. And a lot of people, it causes a lot of people a lot of sorrows. 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul said, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from their faith in the greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You might think it's going to be the answer to your problems. This might create the problems that you think you're going to answer. Money will never deeply, possessions will never deeply satisfy the longing and the desires of your heart. How do you know if you have a heart that's like that? I got this from Alistair Begg in his book on the Ten Commandments. It said, some tell tell signs in the life that is eager for money. Thoughts of money consume my day. The financial success of others makes me jealous. I've starred three, and I won't let you know. This one I starred. I define success in terms of what I have rather than what I am in Christ. My family is neglected in my pursuit of money. I close my eyes to the genuine need of others. Here's another star. I am prepared to borrow myself into bondage. I live in the paralyzing fear of losing my money. I hoard it rather than share it. And the last story is God receives my leftovers rather than my first fruits. How about your heart? How about your heart? What fills it? I'm going to ask Matt and the team to come on to the, to the stage. And I want to close with this. I'm not immune to this. None of us are immune to it. There's something always competing for first place. Whether it's money, whether it's a relationship, something is always competing for first place in our hearts. And I tried to really think and do an honest assessment within myself. I said, Larry, is there anything that you would give? You know, the Bible says, What shall it profit a man that gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And Jesus said, "Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Is there anything, Larry? And I tried to think of this idea of what would I give, even if it wasn't my salvation. But if the Lord said, look, I'll give you all the riches of the world, or you can keep your stuff, but you have to forfeit the presence, my presence, and the anointing of my Holy Spirit. You'll never feel it again. And when I really do a soul deep search on that church, I say with all the faith that I have, you can keep that stuff. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like coming in to Bethel Christian Center on a Friday night, Sunday morning, a a night of worship, or in my own prayer closet and spending time with the Lord and feeling Him rush in and maybe at times raising my hands and just soaking in his presence. There, there's no amount of money that can replace that. And if you've never experienced that this morning, if you happen to be sitting here and saying, That sounds good, brother, but I don't have any idea what you're talking about, you can. And when you ever taste it, the Bible says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You ever taste it, oh boy, you'll never give it up. <laughs> you'll never give that up. You know, one of the things that, that, unfortunately, that many times drug addicts will say is they're always chasing that, that, that first high. That's how they get addicted. Man, I, I do it. Well, let me tell you, once you was sense that anointing, boy, I'm going to chase that. And I won't, get, I won't get in a treatment clinic for it. I won't have to go see the doctors for it. I might get addicted to it. And I wish I felt it all the time, church. I do. I wish I could live in that state. I'd be good for nothing. But one day we're going to live in that state. We're going to live in that state. I thought about the Psalm of David in the 51st Psalm when I thought through this. David had it all. David had everything that we hold in esteem in this culture. He was a king. He was wealthy. He had power. He had it all. But the Bible says he went up, most of you know the story he went up and he saw Bathsheba he sinned greatly he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed to try to cover it up and a prophet by the name of Nathan called him out on his sin and he wrote the 51st Psalm in his repentance about that and within that Psalm this is what he said David didn't say God don't take your king, my kingship from me he didn't say don't take my money from me Don't take my position and my power from me. David said this, Lord, don't take your presence or your Holy Spirit from me. That stuff didn't mean nothing to David anymore. And my desire for you is that longing in your heart that can only be filled by him that this morning, if you don't have it, you can. And then whatever you face in life, and these trials are going to come in life. You know that. I know looking at some people, you've dealt with some big trials. But you know sometimes in those darkest moments is when he floods in like a flood and you sense his presence. And there is no house, no car, no nothing that you would take for that at that moment. Brother Matt and them are going to sing, come to the altar. If you're here this morning, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes for just a moment. We always want to give an altar call. See, I don't do this work, but my prayer, you want my prayer is every time I speak with you, preach to you, is that the Holy Spirit would use my words. Because it's not me, it's Him. And He would come out and tug in those heartstrings. And you say, something's not right in my life. I've been there. And you grip hold to a pew and say, man, something's missing. i got to get something right. If that's you this morning, this altar's open. You can come down and we'll pray with you. If not, I'm going to ask them. They'll go ahead and start the music. I'm going to ask if we all stand. I'm going to ask everyone to come forward. And let's just worship for a moment, and then we'll pray for each other. We believe in praying for each other at this altar, if you will. If we have some visitors, this is what we do. We close our service around the altar. We just come around, and we pray for each other. But they're they're going to sing. I want you to enter into some worship. Let the presence of God permeate your heart, and then we'll pray.